Um, well, I mean, I can tell you just as a dad, Michael Harris, thank you. Mm. Um, he came to almost every one of Matthew's games. He yells at refs more than I do. <laughs> and Tawny, thank you too for coming. I mean, it, it makes all the difference. I mean, uh, it's what uh, relational connection ministry is supposed to be about. It's, it's everything we're talking about one another. It's giving your life away to other people. So thank you so much. Well, we are uh, nearing the end of our series on the one another's. We'll next week talk about loving one another, which will be kind of the wrap-up of the whole thing. Today, we're looking at this incredible statement that Paul makes in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's quite a statement. In some ways, Paul is trying, he's using a couple Greek words that are really, really similar to say something that's really impactful, I think. Uh, the first section, which we, we translate be devoted, it, it could also create, it has this tension or this idea of, of being really loyal, the loyalty to one another. The Greek word is, um, this, it's philostorgis, which means family affection, uh, tenderly loving somebody is what that being devoted means. It's very loving, warmly devoted, very affectionate towards somebody, is what this word means. That The second word is one that we translate brotherly love. It's the Greek word Philadelphia, which we understand where that the city of brotherly love comes from, but it's, it's affection for one's fellow believer in Christ. It's Love for a fellow believer, affection for a fellow believer. So again, he's using these two words that are really, really similar, but they're, they're meant to create this, this sense that there's this deep affection for one another, this deep loyalty towards each other. And, and as one commentator says, this is what this means, he's putting these two words together. It's that we are to love the brethren in the faith as though they were brethren in blood. That we are to love one another in the church as if they are family. Now, I know sometimes families don't always love each other well. But the way it's supposed to be, right, is that, it, that we are supposed to have a deep, deep connection in our, in our natural families with each other. And, and what Paul is saying is to take that, that as it is supposed to be, that, that love that you might have for a brother or a sister or a parent, or a child, and that that is the type of love we are to have for one another, the type of devotion we are to have for each other. I was reading some stuff earlier in the week that said, yeah, sometimes there's dysfunction in families and all that, but man, if all of a sudden you start picking on my little brother, uh, the family shows up. And that that is what we're supposed to be, as Paul is talking about here, is that we are to really love each other, that we are to be devoted to one another as if we are family. And then Paul goes on to say that we are then to honor one another above ourselves. Uh, what this means is that we are to, in the wording that's used there, is that you are to be strongly intentional in terms of helping others to feel honored. That you would go out of your way to actually allow others to be honored 
And, and the wording here is that you also are you're treating someone better than they even might deserve. Is what it means to honor somebody above yourselves. But the wording is that you're really intentional about doing this. You're not just saying, well, I hope this happens in this person's life. But that you actually are intentional. You go out of your way to help somebody else know that they are valued. You know, um, and you might imagine in Scripture, there's some great pictures of, of what this looks like. There's some people that do this well. And um, the Apostle Paul experienced this in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> you know, he was an um, incredible man, uh, sold out for his faith, was willing to, uh, was arrested several times, uh, if we follow him through the book of Acts, we, we get to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, and he is in what's called kind of a, a house arrest in, in Rome. And, and most scholars believe that that was a time from around um, A.D. 61 to about A.D. 63. For two years, he's in house arrest in Rome. He's seeing people. He's continuing to write. Um, Luke is there with him. We'll find out this later, too. But, but we don't know much about what happens to him after that, but from his letters that he wrote later on, it seems that he was released from that house arrest for some reason and went around and traveled to some other places and had some other sort of adventures and wrote some other things and all that, but then he was arrested again. And that when he was arrested again, it was not like the first arrest. The first arrest, he was in house arrest. People could bring him his food and all that. The second arrest, he is in prison. He is in a Roman prison. And, and that timing is sometime around 66 to 68 um, AD, they believe. But he's definitely in a Roman prison. And while he, during that time, again, most scholars believe that he wrote a letter. I wrote a letter to a man named Timothy. And we now have called this letter Second Timothy. And it is one of the final letters he will write. And in this letter, it's deeply, deeply personal. But in this letter, we see what it means to be devoted to one another. And here's where we'll see this. 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, you know that everyone in the providence of Asia has deserted me, including Phlegelius and Hermogius. Homogeneous, I'm sorry, homogeneous. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So this week I'm studying this and I'm thinking, we're talking about, you know, you kind of do some study and it's, we're looking for devotion in the scriptures and this guy's name pops up, Oniferous. I'm thinking, who is Oniferous? And this is the man, Oniferous. And look at these qualities that Paul writes about him. He often refreshed me. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it means to be devoted to one another, is that when you're with that person, you walk away refreshed. I have a friend like this, Sean. I've known Sean, he actually I've met him first when he was in high school, then through college, after college, we were friends. 
I don't get to see him much, and I won't see him much anymore because he just moved out of Southern California. But when we were together, man, I walked away refreshed. And I knew he was for me, and he knew that I was for him. But this is a beautiful quality of being with somebody and refreshing one another. The second thing Paul says is, hey, he was not ashamed of my chains. Wasn't ashamed of the fact that I'd been arrested, that I was now in a prison. Wasn't ashamed of the fact of the stuff that's going on. That's another picture of a person that's really devoted to you. They, they are not ashamed of where you are. They're not ashamed of the difficulties you might be going through. They're not ashamed of the tough stuff that's happening in your life. They are there and they are, they're not ashamed. Oniferous was not ashamed. The third thing he says about this man is that he searched for me. Isn't that a great statement? He searched for me. He was looking for me. He didn't know where I was in Rome. He wasn't sure what had happened to me. And he finds me in prison. A person who's devoted to, if we're devoted to one another, we will search for each other. We will not just say, well, they're off on their own now, forget them. But being devoted to somebody in brotherly love means that we will search for that person. And people can get lost, right? People can lose their way. But when there is that type of devotion to one another, when there's that connection, you don't say, well, that's okay, they'll just find their own way. No, you go after them. You go find them. It's what it means to be devoted to one another. And then the last thing at the last line, he says that there are many ways he helped in Ephesus. We don't know a ton about what happened in, the, in Ephesus. We know that Ephesus was a, a really divided place spiritually. There was evil and good. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, actually, Paul says that he fought wild beasts in Ephesus. We don't know if that's actual wild beasts or is that just a statement about the spiritual, what's going on there. But he says that Oniferous helped in many ways in Ephesus, whatever was needed. And this man, Oniferous, not only was he there in, in Ephesus with him, but now he's in Rome with him. He continues to be connected to Paul. No matter what Paul's going through, this man is with him. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to be devoted to one another in, in uh, brotherly love. Um, the second person we'll look at, and this is all in 2 Timothy. This is all in this last letter that Paul is writing, one of the last letters Paul's writing. It's really deeply personal. Here's what he says in verses 9 to 13. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Crescus has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demaltia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychrus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. So the, the second person that kind of is a picture of someone who's devoted to, uh, to Paul is Luke. <laughs> what a great statement there. Only Luke is with me. Do you have somebody in your life who when everybody else is gone, they're still going to be there with you? Luke didn't leave. Luke didn't go off to some other place. Luke stayed there. We need to have people who will stick with us. 
We need to have people that no matter how badly it gets, they're standing with us. It's a picture of what it means to be devoted and brotherly love to one another. A devoted friend doesn't leave. You know, it's, it's widely believed that, that Luke wrote the book of Acts as a follow-up of his gospel, the gospel of Luke. And there's a few places in the, uh, in the writings of the book of Acts where the, the pronouns change. Up till about uh, chapter 16, it's uh, Paul did this, and then he went and did this, and then he did this. But in 16, it changes, and it says, we went and did this. We went into this city or into this town. We heard God speaking to us in this way. And again, most scholars believe that it's at that point where Luke actually was a part of what was going on in Paul's life, of, what, of going to these different cities and starting these churches, that, that Luke himself was a participant in these events that are now recorded here. And that Luke actually journeyed with Paul and was with him during those two years that he was in house arrest. And imagining what that was like, and that's probably where Luke and Paul were sitting and Paul was telling him the stories and stories and stories about what had happened before he joined in. And in fact, in Colossians chapter 4, um, Paul says this about, he, calls, he says, our dear friend Luke the doctor. Our dear friend Luke the doctor. The one that's always been there, the one that has stuck with me. Um, one commentator wrote this about this. Uh, said, an old saying fits with Luke's outlook. It, a minister sees men at their best. A lawyer sees men at their worst, and a physician sees men as they are. And that Luke knew Paul intimately, knew just who he was, and he stuck with him through thick and thin to where he would say, hey, everybody else is gone, but Luke has stayed. Do you have a person like that in your life? Or are you a person like that in somebody else's life? Okay, the last person we'll look at, and, and this is the guy he's writing the letter to, Timothy. And in the first line, he calls him, Timothy, my dear son. If there's ever a relationship that shows us what uh, mentoring is supposed to be like, what devotion to one is supposed to be like, it's this relationship with Paul and Timothy. It's a deeply personal letter, and, he, and in many respects, Paul is passing along the ministry torch to Timothy. You see, Paul realizes, and he says this in this letter quite a few times, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. I believe I'm being poured out. I feel I fought the good fight, and he's doing what he can to set Timothy up to be the next one that continues. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul writes this. He says, you, Timothy, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconum, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. He says, Timothy, you know me. I mean, you know all about me. You know how I teach. You know the faith. You know my purpose in life. You know the love I have for people, the way and the endurance, all the persecution. You know me. And we're still connected here, Timothy. We're still friends. 
You see, Timothy had been with Paul through thick and thin. And then in the last chapter of this letter that he's writing, he says two things that show us just how important this relationship is. He says, do your best to come to me quickly and do your best to get here before winter. Timothy, I need you. So often we think of mentoring relationships as that one person is giving all the time to this other person. But what has happened in this relationship, it has become mutual. That Paul has as much of a need for Timothy as Timothy might have had for Paul. And they are committed and they are devoted to one another. So in this short letter that Paul writes, there's three examples of men who were devoted to him in brotherly love. Oniphorus, Luke, and Timothy. Now the question is this though, right? How do we become a person who's devoted to others with this type of deep affection? How do we become like this? Right? I mean, this is what we would want. This is who we would want to be. This is what we want in our own lives. And I talk, we talk about this a lot, and we've been talking about it in this, that there's so much in our culture that tries to uh, isolate us from each other, fracture us, keep us from each other, because we've been created for relationships, and we, and we need to have people that are devoted to us like this. But there's much that tries to keep it away. So I believe there's, there's two things. It's interesting, this week I, I grabbed one a book and I, by Henry Nouwen, called uh, Making All Things New. It's a great little book on the spiritual life. Uh, earlier in the month, I'd read a book by Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And both of them kind of say the same thing in terms of this is how you're supposed to live. And, and it's, this, it's this balance and it's this connection between solitude and community. Solitude and community. That, that in solitude, that, that God shapes us to be self-sacrificing. That, that God really shapes us into being the people he wants us to be. And part of that is that we're willing to sacrifice for others. And that happens when we sit before our Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. Through your word and through prayer and just time with you, Lord, shape me to be the person you really need me to be. But if that's all we do, then we won't become the people that are devoted to others. And so the other side of that's true also is that we need community too. We need time alone with our Lord, but we also need time with others. And so we need community. And, and, and the thing I would encourage you to think about in this is um, have an adventure together with somebody. When you look at what, if you look at Paul's life, these were people he had adventures with. It was like, Luke, I don't know where we're going tomorrow, but let's go. Timothy, come along. I don't really know you very well, but let's go do this and start these churches. Have an adventure with some people. Find some folks that you can, can experience life in a really incredible way. When I think of the guys in my life who are devoted to me like we're talking about, it's guys that I did ministry with. It's guys that we would meet together on Saturday mornings and talk about our lives. It's guys that we would go off and do camps together. It's this idea of having an adventure together. Take on a challenge that only God can do in your group. Have an adventure. 
you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I talked, when we were talking about spiritual friendships, I talked about this three, two, one idea. I know a few of you talked to me about this, but this idea of, of, ha- of having three people who two hours get together once a month. Three, two, one. And what if that group of three thought, what type, what, what adventure could we do, Lord? Yeah, we're going to meet together, we're going to talk about our lives, we're going to do that, but man, what, what, what could you do with us, Lord? And then that, if, when you're doing that, when you're doing ministry together, when you're feeding people where you go off and do a mission trip together, I don't know what it might be, or what, but it, it could be, uh, hey, we're going to coach Little League together, I don't know, um, whatever it might be, but do an adventure together. That's how you build these types of relationships. probably won't happen if you're just at home watching Netflix. It, it just won't. Have an adventure together with somebody, and your hearts will be tied together in this type of devotion. So we all want to be men and women of devotion. We want to have those types of friends around us, but every once in a while, it doesn't happen. There's a situation, there's a time, and, and we're just alone and we're on our own. And, and I'm just going to end with this as a little bit of a different turn here. But, but, but Paul ends his letter this way, and here's what he says. At my first defense, no one came to my support, and, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, my, at the first time, you know what? I'm not sure what happened, but everybody was gone. And I was standing there by myself. And then this beautiful statement, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. The Lord is the one who's ultimately devoted to us. The Lord is the one that will never leave us, never forsake us. It's similar to what David writes in Psalm 23, right? That though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That there are times when we look around and for whatever reason, we're feeling alone. We're feeling like there's nobody else that can help me. And I want you to know this, that that the Lord stands by your side. No matter what you go through, no matter how difficult it might be, that Jesus stands by your side. And Paul experienced that. Paul experienced that as he stood by himself, the Lord was there with him. So the questions, they're this. What does the Lord need to do in your life to prepare you, to allow you to be a person of devotion to others? That, that he wants to change you and shape you to where you're willing to sacrifice for others, where you, we don't just think of ourselves, but we do think of others. That, that if a person's in trouble, we are there with them. If we sense someone struggling, we go and find them, whatever it might be. But what does the Lord need to do to put us in that place? And, and what type of humility do we need to have in our own lives to invite those people to be a part of our lives? But then also, 
know that Jesus stands with you no matter if everybody else does deserts you. That our Lord will never leave you, never forsake you. He will always stand with you because that's who our Lord is. The ultimate picture of devotion. The ultimate picture of this brotherly love and affection is our Lord Jesus. My prayer is that you would know him in that way. Let's pray together. Lord, I am grateful that Paul had men who stood with him, men that, would, um, that walked with him, that uh, were there when it was difficult. And my prayer, Lord, is that each of us would have relationships like that. That, Lord, you would create these bonds of, of incredible affection and love for one another. That we would be able to stand with each other, encourage each other, refresh each other. And that, Lord, you would raise those people up in our lives. But remind us, Lord, remind us that when we feel like we're all alone, when we feel like there's nobody else there, remind us, Lord, that you are there with us. And that no matter what we are going through, how difficult it might feel, that, Lord, you stand with us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.